0300, we launched Operation Desert Storm. Now, you must be the thunder and lightning of Desert Storm. Welcome to Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm. My name is Jason Dias, and this is Episode 3, Useful Idiots. I can't be certain, but I'm almost certain that the school year, even in 1990, started the day after Labor Day, even in college, college students. In September of 1990, I returned to my second full semester at San Antonio College. San Antonio College is just your garden variety community college, you know, there's no dorms, Uh, people drive there, you knock out your first year of college if you're not at a big university, you can't get a four-year degree from San Antonio College. The only thing San Antonio College really was famous for was that they were considered the Harvard of mortuary science. If you wanted to go into mortuary sciences, you wanted to be a mortician for whatever reason, I don't know if it's still the case, They had the best program apparently anywhere, and so that was something that they were very well known for. And they had a like a planetarium; you can go look at the stars and things like that. Um, A very very big campus. Well, we derisively referred to it as San Pedro High because yes, even freshman college students they had bells in between the classes, and so in some ways it was just a perfect place to get started. You graduate from high school. In my case, I'd already been in the Army for three years and was was going to college in the spring of 1990. Before all of the Desert Shield stuff started, I had, towards the end of the semester, been elected president of the San Antonio College College Republicans. Yes, it is absolutely the highest honor you can achieve in the Republican Party at a small community college in San Antonio that nobody has ever heard of. And so my my term really started in the fall of 1990, and I stepped into and onto a campus into a debate that was already raging. The uh, Iraq had invaded Kuwait on August 2nd. The president had sent troops to the Middle East later that very week. He had authorized the calling up of the reserves and the National Guard And after Labor Day, and this is a non-election year in 1990, after Labor Day, every news story, every magazine article, every cable debate show, this is what people were talking about. And I knew it was going to be a topic of discussion on campus, and I was ready for that. Well, the reason I'm calling this show Useful Idiots is because that's how I felt about those people, the anti-war people at the time. And as I said in episode two, I came face to face with the same intolerant student mob that is out there today. News today as we're recording on the 10th of September, the University of Rhode Island, and I've spent many, many summer days at my grandmother's house in Tiverton, Rhode Island. I love Rhode Island. Um, University of Rhode Island is going to take down pictures of World War II veterans because they lack diversity. (sighs) Useful idiots indeed. Now, back in 1990, it wasn't It wasn't quite as woke. I guess that's the term they talk about now. But just as I had been in the Army uh, before I got to college, there were guys that wanted to prove that they were just as tough as the Vietnam veterans from the 1960s. They wanted to prove it by going to war. They really did. They wanted to do that. Well, 
On the flip side, there were students who wanted to show they had just as much passion and just as much energy as the anti-war protesters from the 1960s. And the reason I call them useful idiots is, as you will see as we go through this chronology and get into the more serious parts, including the combat portion of Operation Desert Shield and then Operation Desert Storm, you will find out that Saddam Hussein calculated this into his battle strategy, that one of the hangovers from Vietnam was the belief that if you could turn public opinion against a war, you could achieve your objectives, your strategic, political, and military objectives. And by the day, you know, the week after Labor Day, there was already a very, very vocal anti-war voice on college campuses, in the city streets, there were protest marches. When you think back on Desert Storm, you remember what happened afterwards. It had gone so well that all those people put their protest placards away and waited for the next thing to demonstrate against. But in the fall of 1990, there is a very tangible anti-war, you know, whatever you want to call it, anti-war movement and the shadow of Vietnam. And we're going to do an episode, an upcoming episode on the Vietnam effect because that was driving, that sentiment, the public opinion. Everybody was warning, oh, it's going, every war was going to be another Vietnam. Once again, the Cold War has ended in 1990. Mikhail Gorbachev has received the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, there is not going to be a prolonged strategic World War III, possibly nuclear confrontation between the United States and the Russians, you know, NATO and the Warsaw Pact. And just as we're about to embrace this new Pax Americana, Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait, there's no fracking. There's no Eagle Ford Shale. No one ever used the word fracking in 1990. And you had to put gas in your car to get to where you were going. Well, in that context, the vocal anti-war demonstrators had what we would call today a hashtag already ready to go. And that anti-battle cry was no blood for oil. That was that could have been the name of this episode. It probably would have been a nicer name than calling people useful idiots. But again, this is how I felt about these people back in 1990. I can remember, you know, they're in the little student union. People were holding up signs and stuff like that. One knucklehead had a sign that said, I won't be drafted. And I had to walk up to this guy and say, you realize the draft ended, I think like 15 years ago. And from the looks of you, we wouldn't want you anyway. Useful idiots indeed. So I get on campus, and this is, like I said, it is very much like a high school schedule. I was taking 12 hours, so I had four classes. I went on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and I had classes straight from 8 o'clock until 12 o'clock, and then I would stick around on campus for an hour or two before I had to go off to my job at the mall, you know, from 5 to 9 or 4 to 9 in the evening, and that's when you would do your clubs and your activities and things like that. And so, you know, I'm the president of the College Republicans. I'm supporting the military being sent to the Middle East because I support the president. I support President Bush, President Bush 41. Well, I don't remember if it was the first week that I arrived on campus, but it was shortly thereafter. I think they had the first edition of the student newspaper ready on the first day of school because I can remember picking it up. It's called the San Antonio College Ranger. That was the name of the newspaper, just an old school 
community college, newspaper, print, 1990. There's no websites. There's no mobile apps. There's no QR codes. Nobody's looking at their phones in between classes because there aren't any. Um, you pick up the newspaper, and it's got stories. It's got professor profiles. It's got the requisite ads for bookstores and coupons for local restaurants and things like that. So really worth getting if you're a student. Well, I pick up the paper. And on the front page, I think it was, there's a, there a guy standing in, in the library or one of the, build, one of the rooms with one of those little half podiums that you put on a table. So you're like standing behind a podium. There's a photograph of him, and above it it says, Professor says if the United States go to war with Iraq, goes to war with Iraq, the United States will lose. Well, that got my attention. And I read the story. And in my mind, I'm just making mental, a mental checklist. And I'm thinking to myself, and again, no social media. There's no way to instantly respond to this. I go home. I take out the old Corona, not that Corona, the old Corona typewriter, and I write a letter to the editor responding to the professor whose name is Professor Aslan Kali. I'd never had him as a professor. I don't remember what he taught. I just know I never had him as a professor in the, in the two semesters in the summer sessions I spent at San Antonio College. I put together this letter, uh, all the reasons why I think he's wrong, the same things I talked about in episode one. The, the modernization of the American military was not something people outside of it could appreciate. I had been at Fort Hunter Lincoln and seen the potential of this new thing that we had. It's not new anymore. You have it on your wrist. You have it in your back pocket. It's called GPS. I had seen it when it was a gigantic big green box, and it was uh, connected to a satellite somehow. We didn't know how it worked. We were just there to keep people away from it and to provide security while they were testing it. And so just little things like that. I knew the American military had changed, but most of all, I knew that in a desert war, our tanks simply could not be beat. Nothing, there nothing had been invented that could defeat the M1 main battle tank, M1 Abrams main battle tank. And I knew that in the desert, unlike the jungle, you can't hide from precision guided munitions. And so I put, and, and our ability to fight at night, you know, the Americans developed a fighter bomber that was invisible to radar. Nothing like this existed anywhere else in the world. And as I said in episode one, I told everyone, this is going to be over in a matter of days. And I really meant that. And so I write a letter to Professor, uh, responding to Professor Kali. And so they print it. You know, Jason Dyer, president of the college Republicans. The next week, the letters from his students, this is what I mean by the intolerant student mob. Now they are really fired up. I'm an idiot. I'm a fascist. No blood for oil. You're a warmonger. You just want you know, young men to get sent over to the desert and die for oil so rich oil companies can make even more. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? We don't make any oil in America anymore. We import it. And that's why your you know, price per gallon has gone up since August 2nd, which it did, by the way. Um, they sent some people to our meetings. You know, we'd have our college Republican meetings every Thursday, and they would actually have people come in and do their little protest there. Well, that's fine. 
we found out where the uh, college Democrats were meeting, and to save oil, we went over and just very gently let the air out of all their tires. In fact, one of the most vocal, it was a couple, uh, a, a young man and a young lady who were leading the, you know, the, the peace by all means movement on campus, and so we're watching their reaction when they come out of the meeting. They met over at the Methodist Student Union. They're right off campus, and they come out to their car. The head of the anti-war movement at San Antonio College and her boyfriend, their car was like this 1974 Dodge Polara. I mean, every one of the white walkers from Game of Thrones would have fit in the backseat. This thing got like 12 feet to the gallon, and I'm thinking, you're worried about oil? You're burning a lot more oil than I ever will. And so it was things like that, little little moments of hypocrisy that you see in all of these protests that are going on in 2020. Same thing back in 1990. If you think people are intolerant of conservative points of view on college campuses today, it was the same thing in 1990, except for Professor Aslan Kali. After his students blasted me in the paper and were, you know, showing up at all of our events, he came out with a letter to the editor the following week where he said he didn't attack me, he actually attacked his own students. Not in a, not in a mean way, in a very philosophical way, saying, hey, wait a minute, this is college. This is why you came here, to have a Socratic debate. You're not supposed to come here and agree with everything you hear. You're supposed to push back, and you're supposed to debate. This is what a college campus is all about. And I thought, hmm, when I say useful idiots, I do not mean Professor Kali. I mean the people that came to our meetings and were shouting us down and telling us we didn't have a right in a free country to say what we were thinking. Um, Professor Kali was not one of those people. As we get through Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm podcast, like I said, you're going to see that Saddam Hussein and all of our enemies since Vietnam have calculated the need to turn public opinion against the American war effort whenever and wherever it's being waged. The, the narrative continued in all major media outlets, ABC, CBS, PBS, NBC, NPR, AM, FM radio, that the United States could not possibly win this war. And so it was natural that his students would come, you know, not come after me in a physical way. It wasn't like that. It was just, just very, very nasty. Some of it was very, very nasty. And it didn't matter to them that I had been in the military and knew what I was talking about. But I will always remember just how fair and how open-minded Professor Kali was, and that's something that has changed. The professors in many college campuses today are nothing like Professor Kali. They are products of this intolerant academic environment. And so now you send your young people off to college not to get educated, but to get indoctrinated. And that's not what Professor Kali was all about. He wanted to have debates. He wanted to have these Socratic arguments about things that people cared very deeply about, and I really respected him for that. Now, I never met him on the campus of San Antonio College, and as I said last week, this episode would lead to one of the most amazing experiences before the fall of 1990 and after the war in the summer of 1991. In the summer of 1991, this is after the war, I've 
been proven right, by the way. Everything I said would happen in that first letter to the editor happened. Our ability to fight at night, our ability to fire precision munitions at places, our tanks could not be stopped. Everything I had said was correct. And so I man, felt good about that. Well, in the summer of 1991, I would be attending at the University of Texas at San Antonio in the fall. I was moving from the community college up to the university in San Antonio, so I was never going to have Professor Kali as a, as, a, as a teacher or a professor on campus. I'm working at a place called the Texas Med Clinic that uh, people derisively refer to as a dock in the box. It's, uh, you know, you go there for, you know, cold flu, boo-boo, stitches, you got a cold, this kind of thing. You know, nothing, nothing terribly complicated, but a very, very good business. And one of my coworkers and her husband had just had a baby, and they were going to take the baby down to see their family on the Gulf Coast. And they asked me, hey, Jason, would you be willing to come stay at our place this weekend and just keep an eye on things? They lived up in Balcones Heights and on a little bit of acreage. They had some goats and chickens and pets, and they needed to be fed just to keep an eye on things. And I was happy to do it. They paid me $25 a day. It was 50 bucks, which is a lot of money in 1990. It's a lot of money right now. I show up on Friday after work. You know, I spend the night watching TV. I remember I took my old Nintendo, the original Nintendo game system, and plugged it in to their TV. I was so excited. They had a 27-inch TV, which was much nicer than my little 19-inch Taytongue that sat in the corner of my you know, living room in my crappy little apartment uh, down, in a, down in San Antonio. Well, on Saturday night, around 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, I remember I was eating dinner. Um, they called, she, uh, the, the wife called, I think her name was Judy, called from the coast and said, hey, how are things going? Everything's going fine. Uh, I have not burned the house down. Everything's good. You know, no problems here. Okay, good. We'll be back tomorrow. You know, you can just lock up, leave after lunch on, on Sunday, and we'll be there in a few hours. Hey, no sweat. I'll leave the key in the mailbox, this kind of thing. Well, just as we're about to hang up, she says to me these words exactly. Oh, I forgot to tell you, if you run into any trouble, go across the street to the property across the street and just ask for Ozzy. I said, oh, that'll be easy to remember, like Ozzy Osbourne, the, you know, the rock star. She goes, yeah, that's what everybody calls him. We all call him Ozzy. But his real name is Aslan Kali. He's a professor at San Antonio College. And I'm thinking, I kind of knew that. I didn't know he was across the street. Well... I didn't have time to go into the whole story, and I've told this story so many times. So I hung up the phone, walked across the street. It was probably 6, 6 o'clock, 6.30 at night. It's hot. Uh, walked across the street, walked down the little dirt gravel driveway, knocked on the door, and he answered the door. I explained who I was, and he remembered the whole incident from the fall of 1990. He invited me into his house. He made tea. We sat on the back patio, and I'm not exaggerating. I remember going home and thinking, we talked all night. It was after midnight when I got home. And as wrong as he was about the war, he described every single thing that did happen after Desert Storm leading up to the next invasion of Iraq in 2003. He agreed with me in, in the summer of 1991 that it had been a mistake to leave Saddam Hussein in power after Desert Storm. We're going to talk about that. It'll be one of our last episodes. But it was just an unbelievable experience to get to sit down and talk to him and just have a great conversation about the geopolitical nature and how the world had changed after Desert Storm. Well, 
final postscript to this episode. I reached out to San Antonio College and tried to contact the newspaper, which is still there. The Ranger is still there. San Antonio College is still there. I emailed them, and they were kind enough to email me back. I was trying to find those letters. They have not digitized them yet, and you can't get on camp. Or you couldn't get on campus last week when I called to go through the old microfish and the and the old things they have in the stacks in the library. They've they've digitized all of the papers. I think back to 1997, and so I asked uh, via email if they still had Professor Cully on campus, and the, and I was surprised to find out that, yes, he's still a professor here. Now he's a doctor. He's Dr. Aslan Cully. So I looked him up on LinkedIn, only to find that actually he retired this summer. He is not going to be on campus in the fall of 2020. I contacted him on LinkedIn, and last Thursday, a week ago, we talked on the phone. It was a wonderful conversation after 30 years to catch up like that, and I've invited him to be a guest on the Thunder and Lightning Operation Desert Storm podcast, and I do believe that will be our next episode. Useful idiots, the people that get out there, and they're just reflexively anti-war. The truth is, even in the military, we don't want to go to war, but I believe in 1990, it was a necessary war. We simply could not allow, you know, one knucklehead to be in control of all of the oil in the Middle East or to have the ability to broker those prices. That's why I was in favor of the war at the time. And for all of those students who made their way to college and to work and back home every day in cars that were powered by gasoline, I didn't understand their reflexive anti-war uh, nature as much as I do now. Some people were born to be soldiers and some people were born to be protesters. It must be something in the DNA. I'm glad I'm the former. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm. My name is Jason Dyes, and until next we speak, we'll talk to you soon.